You remember your first job? What, what was your first job? Yell it out. Let's all yell it at once. What was your first job you ever had? Real job. Awesome. Good jobs. I remember my first job, I worked at Irving. I was a gas pumper. I was probably 15, 16 years old in the Fredericton area. I remember I got my uniform, I did my training, and they brought me in, they taught me all about what it means to, to work for Irving. Uh, they had a code of ethics and things I had to learn about who they were as a company, and then what this particular store, what we're trying to accomplish. And then once I learned that, they took me out as in my training and showed me, okay, Brent, your role, your job, this is how you do it, this is what we want you to do. A car comes in, you, cut, you go, and you ask them how much gas they want, you pump their gas, you wash their windshield, ask them if they want their oil check and send them on their way. That's your job. Do you remember your first job? They probably did something like that. They, they told you, okay, at our company, this is who we are. This is our vision. This is what we specialize in. And this is what we're trying to accomplish. And so here's what you do. Do you remember that? Uh, I remember it, it happened to me at Dairy Queen. I worked at Dairy Queen when I was maybe 17 or 18 uh, for about six months. And I remember, I still remember the first day I spent there when they showed me, okay, here's what we do, Brent. We specialize in food products. We do Dairy Queen ice cream and we do barbecue and food. And your job, you're going to stand right here and there's going to be burgers come off of this conveyor belt. What you do, you take a bun, you put it down, you put one squirt of, one squirt of ketchup, one squirt of mustard, two pickles. You throw a, a burger on the bun, put the bun on top. You wrap it up, you put it in the microwave, you close the microwave door, you press the number, press the, press the start. When it comes out, you slide it down the thing and repeat. I was making burgers in my sleep for like a week. Do you remember, do you remember like your first day on training and you just can't stop, like you're working the cash register? Well, this, this is a, necessi- like a necessary part of what it means to, to join an organization or to join a company. I, every job I had, this was the, the thing that we did. They, the, the, the leadership would tell you, this is who we are. This is what we do around here. Uh, This is our vision and what we're trying to accomplish. And this is how you do your job. Every single job I've had has had to have that clarity around who we are, what we do, and how we do it. It It's the same when I went to uh, Excel Pest Control. This is who we are. This is what we do. We eradicate pests. And this is how you do it. I will not describe how we do that. That is not uh, something you want to hear in church. But every job requires, every company requires this essential reality that we get really clear about not just who we are and not just what we're trying to accomplish, whether you're in a business or you're in an organization, maybe it's a sports team. The best sports teams I were on weren't just talented, they were clear. There was a coach that said, hey, on this team, this is who we are. We're trying to win and here's how we're going to do it. Every organization, every group I've ever worked for, or even in family life, is only as healthy as it is clear on who we are, what we're trying to do, and how we're going to do that. Is it, are we tracking? That it happens in every organization you are in, and the same goes for the greatest organization on the planet. Do you know what that organization is? Six people got it right. It's the church. The greatest organization on the planet is the church. We've, we are the absolute greatest organization. I, I am convinced of that. Why? Because Jesus is our founder and our CEO and our chief operator and CFO. He's funding the whole thing. He is, he is the founder of this whole organization we call the church. And it has not just existed, but it has impacted the earth for over 2,000 years. And it is still going strong. And so here's, here's what I know to be true, though. 
In order for any organization to thrive, it has to be clear on the expectations, on the directions, on who we are, what we're trying to do, and then ultimately how we do it. And so what I want to do today, just for a few minutes before we close off our time together, is I want to just show you how we do it. Like, how do you do the work of the church? For a few weeks, we've been now in this series called On a Mission, and we've talked uh, ad nauseum. Frankly, I'm ready to be done this series. Just between you and me, I'm ready to move on to other things, but this has been a necessity in the season in which we are in, because we're about to head into a season where we are really working to see as many people come to Jesus as we have ever seen in the history of our church. We're believing for that, and so we've needed to spend some time on who are we, and we've looked at that, and we've discovered who the church was designed to be, that we are God's representatives. We, we talked about how Jesus has given us, we said in the first week, the ministry of reconciliation, that Jesus doesn't just uh, expect to, uh, what he's done is he's commissioned us as his people to take his message all over the earth and to see as many people come to him as possible. That's our job. So we are the representation of Christ on this earth. So we bring hope to the world, amen? We bring healing to the world. We bring truth to the world. We bring reconciliation between a world that's been estranged and we reconcile them with God. That's the job of the church. That's who we are. And we have a vision, don't we? Our vision is simple. It's heaven on earth. That's the vision. Do you ever wonder what the church is all about? Our vision is the answer, or it's in response to the prayer of Jesus. Do you remember what the prayer of Jesus was when he taught his disciples to pray? He said, pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the vision? The vision is to see heaven invade earth. Can I get an amen? If you read the end of this book, what do you see? You see the fulfillment of that vision. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the heaven, the new Jerusalem had descended and they come together and now God's dwelling place was with man. That's our heartbeat. That's our vision. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see heaven invade hearts, minds, families, bodies, communities, schools, uh, teams, cities, nations. Can I get an amen? That's the vision. We want to see heaven on earth. And now the question is this, okay, that's the vision, so what do we do? Well, there's a few things we do. Uh, we, we said a few weeks ago as we launched into this series, uh, this is a series where we are just a season story, what we're calling a season of harvest, where from October through December, we are going to very intentionally set ourselves up to see as many people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior as we've ever seen before. If you're just catching up with us, we said this a few weeks ago, that from October through December, we are going to spend ourselves and spend all of our energy and time and resource on bringing people into the kingdom and bringing the kingdom out to people. That's what we're trying to do in this season. And we said we're going to do a few things. Number one is we said we're going to plant some new churches. Did you know if you're just catching up on October the 15th, we are going to launch a brand new King's Church in Halifax. Yes. In fact, fun fact uh, our core, our launch team, there's about 40 of them or so that are right now meeting in Halifax, beginning to learn how to use the space that we're renting and the beginning to get ready for in two weeks' time when we launch. It's so exciting. And then on October 29th, we're not done there. We're launching two campuses in the month of October. If you think that sounds crazy, it should. It does. It is. Anybody remember when you went from one to two kids and you thought, hey, should be pretty simple? It's not, you know, I've already got one. And then you found out going from one to two is more than twice the work. Yes. 
Well, we're finding that with going from two to four campuses. This is crazy. It's wild. We're all in. But on October 29th, we're launching a King's Church West St. John. And I'm so excited about this. So that's what we're doing. And we talked about how all through this season, what we're going to do is we're going to create a season of invitations from October through December, where we are setting you up so that you know when I invite a colleague, when I invite my neighbor, when I invite my friend, they're going to be able to come to church and they're going to hear a message that's going to resonate with them. I remember when we did the marriage series, I had so many of you coming to me saying, thank you for doing the series, not just for my marriage, but this has been so easy for me to bring people to because it's been such a, a way that we've built a bridge into something that they're, questions that they're asking. And so for a window in time from October through December, we are going to do some, do some series here. I, I promise you my, my teaching series are going to be tailor-made, not just towards you receiving things as the church, but for you to be able to bring people who might have questions about God. So for the next six weeks, when we start in October, we're going to do this series called God Is, where we're just asking the question, who is God? What does the Bible say about who God is? And we're going to find out that God is good, that God's always with us, that God is merciful, that he's kind, that he's loving, that he's saving, that he's life-giving. We're going to find that God is so awesome, that is so awesome. So we're going to set a season of invitation, and that's on us. And then finally, we are going to kick things off on October 15th with this thing called Fall Fest that we've been announcing. So that's what we're doing, but now I want to just spend a couple minutes. Are you all caught up to speed? I know that's a lot of information coming at you fast, but it's important that you get it. This is what we're doing. That's who we are. That's our vision. Now, here's the question. How do you do it? When we get talking about living the life of the kingdom, following Jesus, being quote-unquote on mission, how do we do it? Now, I want to just give us three word pictures, three handles today that helps you understand, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? Because I think that's where a lot of anxiety comes for, as followers of Jesus. We, we see maybe the pastor doing what they do, or we see the band doing what they do, or we see the people who serve doing what they do. But you, you might think, okay, but what do I do? What's my job? What and how do we do this? Okay, I've got three word pictures. You should write these down. I think these are going to help you. This is how we do it. This is how, anyway, sorry, I got that in my head. Number one is this. I've got three word pictures I want to just land on you this morning. When you think about how, you know, how do we do church? I hate that phrase, but let me just break that down. How do we do church? How is the church designed to function? Here's number one. We show and we tell. We show and we tell. The church has been called and commissioned. We say it like this. We have been sent out to declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. We have been sent out to declare. What's declaring? Saying. Hey, everybody, Jesus is Lord. We have been sent out to declare it, but not just declare it with our mouths, but demonstrate it with our lives. That not only do our words say that Jesus is Lord, but our lives should shout out and demonstrate the reality that Jesus is king, that death is defeated, that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Look at my life and how God is ruling over me in the space that I occupy. That we have been sent out to declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus is Lord. We show and we tell. You need to think about this when we think about what does it look like to be the church? What do we do? Now, Jesus is our ultimate example, as is always the case. Uh, do, you, do you know that there is nothing that Jesus has called us to do as believers that he himself did not first do? 
Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that the true mark of a leader? Terrible leaders are the ones that you get the sense are asking you to do something that they themselves won't do. Jesus, there was not a thing that he has called the church to do that he did not first demonstrate. Like when he talked about washing, when he was washing the feet, what did he do? He got up and he said, you've seen me do this. Now go and do likewise. Everything he's called us to do, he demonstrated. And he demonstrated this when it came to how he operated in the earth. When he did his ministry, he showed and he told everybody, hey, the kingdom is at hand, salvation is here. That was his message. The Bible said, if you read all the gospels, you'll find the same thing happen. Jesus went all over the place preaching and teaching his central message that the kingdom of God is at hand, that salvation is here, repent and come back to God through me. He preached and he taught that central truth. He told everybody, and not only did he say it, but he demonstrated it. The Bible says you, you cannot read the gospels and not see amazing miracles and demonstrations of the fact that Jesus is Lord. What are all the miracles for? When you read, and you read how one day Jesus healed 10 lepers, cleansed their skin. One day he came to a man who was paralyzed from birth and raised him up to where he could walk again. He opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. He opened mouths, people who could not talk. He, the Bible says he was able to heal every type of disease. He cast out demons. There was, there was points in the Bible that talks about him controlling the elements. He, could walk on, he walked on water. He calmed the storm. He did this miraculous catch of fish. All of these amazing things, but what was the purpose behind it? To impress you? No. To entertain you? No. To point to the fact that Jesus is Lord. It was a demonstration of his authority. It was when he came up to the storm. He said, you know what? Storms are mighty. I am more mighty. Be still. And it was silent. He came up to Lazarus in his his tomb, and Lazarus had been dead for a few days, and He says, you know what? Death is mighty, but I am stronger. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose. It was a demonstration of the authority of Jesus. And church, we have been commissioned in kind. We have been commissioned to show and tell the good news, to declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. Our lives have been called forth to do that. Jesus said it in Matthew 28. He said in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the earth, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Tell the world about me. Acts 1.8, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What does the word witness mean here? It means living representation of Jesus. That when people see our lives, they are to witness the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. And so our lives have been commissioned to declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. Okay, what, is it, what does it mean to, to declare and demonstrate? How, how do we break this down? We do it in our showing. We talked about that. Are you with me? Are you awake? I'm working really hard here for y'all not to talk back. We do it in our showing. Here, here's four quick things. When we, when we think about what does it mean to show the kingdom, to, to demonstrate the kingdom, here's four quick things. You can write these things down. This is, this is what it looks like. First, we demonstrate the fact that Jesus is Lord in our priorities. Listen, we have been called not to be perfect, but to be peculiar. That there are things about our lives that are just going to look different. That we don't quite line up with all of the value system of this world. We will make decisions and we will embrace treasures that the world thinks are trash. 
We will be drawn to places that the world has left behind. We will look to people that the world has, has overlooked. We ha- we are, our priorities are different when we follow Jesus. Can I get an amen? We are called to actually be different, not just in how we behave, but in what we value and treasure. Our treasure is different. We don't store up treasures on earth. We just store up treasures in heaven. Our, our, our perspective, our priorities are completely different. We live differently. Number two is this. We persevere different. Another P. Priorities, perseverance. Did you know that one of the ways, one of the primary ways we show the world that Jesus is Lord is how we suffer? Do you know that Christians suffer differently in this world? You, you, when you started to follow Jesus, if someone told you, follow Jesus and you'll never go through anything hard again, uh, they lied. It's not true. But here's the deal. You won't go through it the same way. You'll find a Jesus. You'll find a Lord who is faithful on the mountain and in the valley and that he will bring you through and that we suffer differently. We, we, we have this perseverance in us that when we go through things, we have that attitude of David that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because he's with me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There can be people around me wanting to devour me. I'm good. I got Jesus with me. We, we persevere different. I was reminded of this this week. Uh, I talked to my aunt who just, she's now three weeks into being a widow. Uh, I told a few weeks ago how my uncle had passed away and I spoke to my aunt this week and I said, hey, how are you doing? And she said, you know what? I'm practicing what I preach and I'm walking this out and trusting Jesus to bring me through. We, we persevere differently, don't we? We have this living hope in us. We, our priorities, perseverance, a third P, uh, we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord in power. Listen, I don't know what tradition you grew up in. I don't know what Bible you read. But the expectation in here is this, that signs and wonders are to follow the people of God. That we are actually supposed to demonstrate that that Jesus is Lord in such a way that, you know what? We're not surprised when we pray for something and God does it. We're not surprised. You know, do you know that God still can heal bodies? And he still does that, not just to, to show his kindness, but to show his authority that Jesus is Lord. God still heals bodies. He heals minds. He heals emotions. He restores families. This is what Jesus commissioned his people to do, to bring his power on earth. Do you know that Jesus, in, it was in Matthew chapter 10, he said this to his disciples, like, who, me? Yeah, us. He said, you know what? Go into all the earth. Tell everyone about me. And he says, cast out demons. Heal sick. Cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Say what? Well, guess what? It's not your power. Do you believe that Jesus is able to do those things? He's able to do those things. He's still able to do those things. And he's able to do those things through us, his people. And we have to contend for that. One of the ways that we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord is through power. I've, been just, I've just been asking God, God, give me more grace and faith in those moments to be quick to lay hands on people and pray for healing. Not, not let you know, my past disappointments dictate how I pray now. Power. In priorities, perseverance, power, fourth P, maybe five. Uh, possibilities. Positivities, perspective, all the same thing. I'm just talking here. Here's one of the ways that we demonstrate and declare, or demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. It's by our attitude. Do you notice? Do you know that? Christians should be the most optimistic, joy-filled, encouragement, life-bringing, life-giving people anywhere. 
We absolutely should. Sometimes I feel like God's saying, hey, son, are you saved? Yes, then tell your face. Right? Like, like we, need, we need to be uplifters. How many of you know God is an uplifter? He's a lifter of people's heads. God is an encourager. God is one who brings life. And, and we, the church, we've got to embrace that. One of the best ways we show that Jesus is Lord is that when we enter a room, the atmosphere changes. I remember I heard one preacher talk about, listen, you have a choice. You can be a thermometer or a thermostat. Thermometers are at the mercy of whatever temperature the room is. If the room goes cold, you go cold with it. If the room goes negative, you go negative with it. If the room goes gossip, you go gossip with it. If the room goes destructive, you go destructive with it. That's a thermometer. But you know what? The Bible calls us to be thermostats. People who actually set the temperature in the room. That when we come in, life comes in. Optimism comes in. Do you know if you're a Christian, you don't have a choice. You are an optimist now. You know what? You say, am I, am I cup, you know, is my glass half full, half empty? It's neither. Your cup overflows. I, I, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's my assumption. Do you bring that attitude everywhere you go? When, at work, are people glad when you showed up? When, when, when you are with your family, how, how do you bring the temperature of the household up? That's one of the primary ways we as believers can declare and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord is by our attitude. It's by, by positivity, possibility, perspective, attitude. Hey, you know what? Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un might be threatening nuclear war, but guess what? I know Jesus is Lord and that in the end, things are going to work out good for me. So I don't know what's got you worried, but my, my sights are set on a future that no power, no president, no dictator can ever affect. My hope is in Jesus, and I have all kinds of reason to be positive and happy today. I'm not saying be delusional. I'm not saying be in denial. I'm not saying pretend like things don't hurt. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying choose joy. I'm saying choose to speak life. How do you use your words? Do you speak life into situations? Do you speak life into people? That's one of the primary ways that we can demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Have you ever been around a Christian that's like that? And you're like, how do you just keep coming with so much life? Like, don't you run out? you ever been around someone? They're like, you exhaust me. It's because when you make a habit of that, and you make a habit of dispensing grace, this is the subtle, the subtle kind of... Um, it's not irony, but it's, it's, it's like you don't think it's going to work. You, you, we think that I'm supposed to hold on to what I have. But the Bible says if you just open up and you release and you give what you have and you give grace and you give life and you give your energy, that heaven floods you with more. That's what it means. It says give and it will be given to you. Sometimes we just don't have the energy. We don't think we have the energy to give someone that time that they need or to give someone that, that love that they need. But the Bible says you give and I'll give you more. One of the primary ways we can demonstrate that Jesus is Lord is by this, by our attitude, by, our, by positivity. So we got to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Show all authority. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew 5. He says, listen, you're the light of the world. That's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? That's us. We are the light of the world. He said, you're a city on a hill. He said, don't hide the light. Don't put it away. He says, bring it out and shine. He says, let your light shine before all men so they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify the Father in heaven. That's our call as believers, church. Demonstrate. You don't have to be perfect. 
You don't have to be perfect. You just have to begin to step out and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. And then I'll attach this to it. You have to declare it. We don't just show, we tell. There's that quote by St. Francis of Assisi. It says, uh, he said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And I, I, know, I know what he was saying. And in the time he said that, he was confronting a lot of hypocrisy within the church because they were, they were saying that Jesus is Lord and their life was saying something different. And so he was calling them saying, don't, don't say something that doesn't line up with your life. But here, here's what I would say about this. It is necessary to use words. It's, as it's necessary to live your life in a way that, that shows that Jesus is Lord, it's also necessary that you make a point to have those conversations with people so they can understand. Do you understand the hope that I have? It's in Jesus. I'm, just, I'm, not, a, I'm not a positive person by nature. I didn't go to a Tony Robbins class and now I'm taking command of my life. I met Jesus and I want to tell you about Jesus. Aren't you thankful someone sat down and told you about Jesus? That someone took you from, they, they stopped assuming that you knew. See, we got we to love people enough to not assume that they know about Jesus. We got to actually say, hey, listen, let's, let's have a conversation. Where are you at? Like, what, what do you know about Jesus? I want to tell you about Jesus. We have to make that happen. We got to make it a priority. We need to tell people. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 10, 13. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You and me are preachers. You say, no, you're a preacher. No, we're all preachers. I do it professionally, but we all do it with our lives. All of us. We are preachers. We are tellers. It's important. And you say, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not smart. I don't know. I don't know all the words. I, don't, I can't explain it. Listen, you don't have to be a theologian to share Jesus. What you do is you say, I want to tell you about Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. All I know is this. I met him and now I'm different. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was blind and now I see he's changing me and he can change you too. That's it. That's all you have to do. Just tell people about Jesus testify to him. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Some of you read that, yeah. The word of our testimony. We show and we tell. Second word picture is this. Are you with me? I know we're doing work here in this series, and I promise you in October, it's going gonna, gonna, gonna to be all the feels. It's going to feel good. Uh, but we're doing work as a church. We've got to do this. We need to know this. This is, who, this is who we are. It's what we do. This is how we do it. Second thing is this. We gather and we scatter. We gather and we scatter. We come together and then we go apart. That's what we do. It's like a dance move. You see that? My brother-in-law, who's our tech director, he likes to like take clips and make gifts uh, of sermons. And I, I, I fear that this one is going to be a gift. That's, that's great. <laughs> You're going to see it online next week. Jesus got me like, anyway, no. <laughs> Some of you are like, I think he likes to do that. And I think he's enjoying that. 
No, we gather and we scatter. I was, I was remembering gathering and scattering this week. Uh, the first time I, I saw scatter really demonstrated well was as a middle school. Uh, in Fredericton, I went to what was probably the roughest middle school in Fredericton, Devon Middle School. I don't know what it's like now, but uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of like police and issues going on when I was there. Uh, it was a really hard school. But I remember like anytime like kids were up to no good and there was a group of them, whether they were in a fight, like usually there's a fight happening and all the kids would come around, these two kids that were fighting and you know, they're doing what kids do and it's, it's, all, it's this big group and they're all gathered together. And then whenever the police or the, or the, or the principal or teachers would come, someone would see them and they'd go, scatter! And everyone would, everyone would scatter in every direction. So I remember that. Now, we're not beating each other up um, and it's not crime related, but kind of similar. We, what we do as Christians is we come together and we huddle around and we come together in proximity with each other. And then after that, we leave and we scatter. What, what do I mean? I mean, we gather together. What is the gathering? This is the gathering. We gather together and we come before God to minister to God, to encourage one another and to receive a word from God so that we can take what we receive in the gathering and then bring it in the scattering. And that, in fact, your life requires both. And the mission of God is designed to function with both. You need the gathering and you need the scattering. And here, here's something I know to be true. Some of you identify more with one than the other. In fact, we all do. Some of you love coming to church. You love it. In fact, some of you come every service all weekend, which is fine. Do your thing. Some of you don't. Some of you are like, okay, let's go to church. And, and you, don't, you don't, haven't found that just like that natural love. You love, you know, you're not, you're not a singer. It's, it's, it's work for you to, to worship that way, but you do it because you know you're, you should. But some, we always identify with one more than the other. Some of you, if it was up to you, you would just do me and Jesus and I do my thing and that's, that's it. Here's the deal. You can't do Christianity alone. You can't do just me and Jesus you have to come back together within the gathering because I have found this and it's biblical. There are certain things that God will only do in a context of community like this. Now, I'm thankful for those of you who are watching online this morning. I'm thankful for online. But my prayer is for those of you who live in the St. John area that this is an on-ramp for you to come and be with us because I know this to be true. And some of you who have since started to come from online have realized something happens when I'm in the room that just does not happen when I'm not there. So it requires the gathering. It's like breath. It's like breathing in. It's like receiving what God has for you. And he does that within the context of the community when we come together. This is what was demonstrated in the book of Acts. Do you remember the book of Acts? Jesus comes before the disciples and he gives them this commandment before he leaves them. He says, he says, go to Jerusalem, gather together and wait until power comes. And what happens? Acts chapter two, we find in the day of Pentecost. Let's read it. I think we have the scripture. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they were gathering, and the gathering preceded this move of God. And in fact, if you look, I think it was a 10-day gathering. It was a long gathering, and we're not going to do a 10-day one, but the point is this. Had they not listened to Jesus and gathered together, would the Spirit have fallen upon them in that way? They gathered together, the Spirit falls upon them. Then do you know what happens next? They stayed there and enjoyed it forever and ever. No. 
they left the gathering and they brought the power and the presence of God into the streets. And church, we would not be here today if they did not scatter from the gathering. And we wouldn't be here today if they didn't gather in the first place. You go and we come together. It requires that we come together and gather and receive from God what only he can give us in this context. And then we take what we receive and we bring it out and we bless the world with it. And it's this rhythm, this we gather and we scatter. We gather and we scatter. It's this rhythm that is essential to the mission. How do we do it? We do it when we gather together. Listen, some things only happen when we gather. Do you know that the gathering is awesome for mission? Like uh, so many people, a person's best chance to come to faith in Jesus is often right here in the context of the gathering. Why? Because they're brought into an atmosphere of faith. They're brought into an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is moving in dozens and sometimes hundreds of people. That's why I've been, I've been in so many contexts where someone comes in and they can feel the presence of God in the room. It's because God manifests himself. Uh, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't with you by yourself, but it means he comes differently in community. And so we have to have the gathering, but listen, we could gather 24-7, seven days a week. We could pray and worship and pray and worship and just go after God. But until we leave... You know what? Revival and the mission will not come forth. I remember being at a, a conference, one of the most just beautiful times of worship I've ever experienced. Like, talk about just wanting to be in the presence of God. And I was in Orlando at this conference, just amazing worship. Like, God's glory was just there. You ever been in a room where it's just like, just heavy? And, I, and we were there, and this uh, evangelist named Reinhard Bonnke got up to preach, this amazing evangelist. And uh, he got up and he said this. He said, how many of you want revival? And everyone there, like, they're all like really driven Christians that are super excited about the concept of revival. And they're like, yeah, revival. And he goes, did you know that we could stay in this atmosphere and we could pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and revival would not come. But only when we get up and we take what God has done in us into the streets, only when someone leaves the gathering and tells someone about Jesus will revival come. And it's the same for us. We cannot neglect the gathering. Hebrews says, don't neglect gathering together as some of you are in the habit of doing. Listen, some of you, you come once a month, you come once a quarter or, or no, bi biannually. It's not enough. You need to make the gathering a priority for you and your family. You need to receive in this context what you need to take it to the workplace, take it to the mission field. It's the gathering and the scattering. We need both. It's crucial for you and it's crucial for others. Okay, final concept. I just got a couple minutes left. We show and we tell. We gather and we scatter. Last thing that we do, how we do it. You should expect to get sweaty and get messy. Get sweaty and get messy. So I, I see someone already going like this. When we get talking, we're using this word harvest. We're using this word revival. We're using this word seeing people come into the kingdom. We're using language of harvest. How many of you know that harvest takes work? That there's actually labor involved. I think we love this word revival. We love to throw it around. And I think we, we, we love to pray to God, God, we want to see thousands of people come to know Jesus. Anybody want to see that? Not that many. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm so hungry for it. 
want to see tens of thousands of people come to know Jesus in our region. I want to see Atlantic Canada transformed in Jesus' image. I want to see the kingdom of God come in Atlantic Canada as it is on heaven. That is my heart. I want to see it happen. But you know what I find when I get praying those prayers? At a certain point, I find Jesus saying, okay, you ready? You going to roll up your sleeves and do it? Like, you know, God will do his part. There's things that only God can do, but here's the deal. He has commissioned us to roll up our sleeves and do the work. It's sweaty, messy work when it comes to reaching people with the good news of Jesus. And I think it's super easy for us as church members to come together in this context and talk about it and even like the idea of seeing your friends and families come to know Jesus, but then when it comes right down to it, a lot of us just aren't willing to do the work and count the cost and pay the price to see people come to know Jesus. I think this is what Jesus was demonstrating for his disciples and for us, is that the way the kingdom comes is that the most powerful ones humble themselves, roll up their sleeves, and get messy. That the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, that what does revival look like in St. John? It probably looks like the church being very, very activated, very busy, very laboring. It looks like us showing up. It looks like us serving. It looks like us reaching out. It looks like us being there where no one else wants to be. It looks like us taking the jobs that no one else wants to do. It looks like us running into needs that no one else wants to address. That's what it's going to look like. A couple years ago when we launched into this season called Move, we said this, listen, I I believe in revival. I want to see it happen in my day, but I feel like God is praying for revival more than we are. And that sometimes we think about revival and we say, it's this thing that we want to see God do. And I feel like the more I think about it and the more I study the scriptures, that revival is something God wants to see the church do. That yes, there's something that only God does in the hearts of men, but that the church needs to come awake and come alive and get up and get out and start telling people about Jesus, start humbling themselves, start getting over their pride and over their preferences and over their entitlement. I I, I don't like the word membership because in our mindset, it's not biblical. Uh, when you read the word member in the Bible, it's talking about like, a, 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 you know, a digit. It's talking about like how, you know, your, your finger is a member of your body. But when we read the word member and you think about being a member of the church, we think of it like your good life membership. Like it's something that you have, you have that gives you access and gives you rights like, like if you went into good life this week, if you're a member, I'm a member there. And I had one of the workers come up to me and hand me a broom and say, all right, it's your turn to serve. Like, hey, man, I paid for this. I'm not doing that. And I feel like that sense of entitlement is often found in the church. Hey, I want it this way. I want to do this job and not that job. I want it to look like this and not this. I want this kind of music and not that kind of music. I want these kind of people and not those kind of people. And we have this kind of entitlement mentality. But actually, Jesus has called us to to actually roll up our sleeves. We aren't members, church. We're not members, we're owners. Members have rights, owners have responsibilities. You ever notice how, you ever go to like a, a, a store and you see the difference between the employees and the one who owns it? How they take care of it? How they look after it? It's so different. Do you know that Jesus our founder, our CEO, our chief operator, 
The, he has not just made you a member. He bought your membership. He bought it with a price. But not only that, he's actually made you a co-owner of this thing. That we actually own this mission, that it's our job. And he said, I've set for you an example, now doing kind. Serve. Do the work. Listen, some of you, some of you, you come to church, you receive, and then you go on about your business. What does it look like for you to wash the feet of this world? What does it look like for you to roll up your sleeves and say, yeah, you know what? I have my preferences. There's things I wish I could do. There's things I wish our church would do. But uh, you know what? I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to pick up and carry the cross. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to serve this world because I want to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I realize that Jesus demonstrated for us that the kingdom doesn't come uh, when, when, you know what? There's this great, powerful display, but oftentimes it comes by humbling ourselves and doing the things that no one else wants to do. And that's often what it looks like. We get sweaty and get messy. You know, I think, if I can just talk for a second, I think like a lot of churches say, we want to grow and we want to see lost people come and we want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see revival, but in, in actuality, God knows we really don't because we want to do it in a shape and a form that we want. And oftentimes it's going to come in a way that we didn't want or expect like so revival is this word we love to throw around, but I, I feel like at the end of the day, revival is going to cost the church something. It's going to look like hard work, and it's going to get really, really messy. Uh, it's going to look like people that are really rough around the edges. Like revival is going to look like people coming and showing up and messing up our perfect, nice, little, pristine gatherings uh, revival, when, when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, it's going to look like the people that were attracted to Jesus are going to be attracted to us. I'm hungry for that church. Uh, do you remember what they used to call Jesus? The friend of sinners. When was the last time you were called a friend of sinners? When was the last time I was called a friend of sinners? They called him a drunkard, a glutton. Why? Because he was around those people. A lot of churches aren't willing to have those people. We have to be. In church, there's been so many weeks at the back where I've met people who they're first-generation Christians. Actually, if you're, if you're brave enough, would you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm the first Christian in my whole family? Just put your hand up. Is there anybody here in the service? Not the 930. This is the church service. All right. Yeah, back here. Awesome. First-generation, first Christian. And I've, had, I've had people show up and talk to me at the, at the door shaking hands, and they don't know how, how to dress at church, and they don't know how to, how to put it on at church, and they don't know the language we even use. And I've, I've had this on multiple occasions. I've had people shake my hand and say, kick-ass sermon, pastor. <laughs> because the people God wants to reach don't know you don't say ass in church. You comfortable with that? You comfortable with how God wants to move? You comfortable with the cost it's going gonna, it's gonna to take? Are you comfortable? Is it worth it to you to see people come to Jesus? I think we're sometimes uncomfortable with how God wants to unleash revival. I was reminded of this of this week. You know what? I, I've been, my prayer in our church, my prayer in my life, my prayer in this region is, Jesus, I want you to be famous. I want people to know your name. I want people to know that you save. I want, I want, I want this whole country. I want this whole region. I want this whole city. I want, I want communities to know Jesus is Lord. And I, I pray that. But when we pray things, don't get upset with how God chooses to answer it. 
And I was reminded that this week, uh, I've talked in the past here, just recently even, about my uh, feelings and relationship with the media. Um, I haven't loved it. I haven't loved being in the newspaper. I haven't loved any coverage we've had because it's just, it's not been how I want it covered. I don't have control like I want. And I was reminded this week of, you know what? I pray, Jesus, I want your name made famous. And then when God gives us an opportunity, sometimes I don't want it. And it almost happened this week. Uh, Telegraph Journal contacted us and they said, hey, we want to run a story about you guys uh, launching on the West Side. Can we come do an interview? And we said, uh, kindly no. Uh, we've, we've done the media thing. We don't want, we don't want any more of that. And I, I, I said, no, I just don't want to do that. Like, it's just bad press. I don't, I don't like how they cover us. And uh, they called back and they said, uh, well, we're going to run a story whether you talk to us or not. So uh, it would behoove you to talk to us. So gun to, gun to the head, right? So I'm like all cranky about it. Like, fine, send them out, all right? And so they come out, and I have this dialogue, and I go, we, we have this interview, and it's not what I would have written. It's not what I would have done. But guess what? Like, this is what I'm praying for. This is the front page of the provincial paper, and whose name is on it? Jesus. I'm praying that Jesus is front page news every day. That every day that the city is saying, yeah, Jesus is changing the economy and Jesus is changing schools and Jesus is changing families. I am praying that Jesus is made famous, but I was so checked this week because God said, listen, you almost missed that because you weren't willing. You wanted to control how it comes and how it goes. And I'm saying, you just need to throw yourself at the mission and trust that it's gonna get messy. It's gonna be hard work. You can't control it. You know what? It might, church might change and the songs might change and how we do it might change. But at the end of the day, we roll up our sleeves and we model Jesus, like it says in Philippians chapter two, who didn't, although he was God, didn't cling to it, but he gave up his divine privileges and humbled himself. We serve the God who washes feet. And so my challenge to us as we kind of come into this next season is, you know, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to pay? What cost are you, what are you willing to do to see that other people know that Jesus is Lord? I invite you to stand with me. You should have received a card on your chair. You, there's, we've had these cards for all the weeks we've been doing this series. And today I just want to set up a time of response uh, and I want you to take a minute on that card and I want you to actually respond. I've asked you to be praying about this. We've asked that 100 to 150 of you would choose to, for October through December, go and help us begin to launch our West Campus. And some of you say, well, it wouldn't be my first choice to go to the West Campus. No, and it probably wasn't Jesus' first choice to roll up his sleeves and wash the gross feet of his disciples. But he did. Why? For their benefit, not his. I'm asking 100 to 150 of you to say, you know what, I'll go. I'll help. I'll help them set up. I'll help them tear down. I'll be, a, I'll be a, a person that just goes and does whatever I can to help make this happen so people on the west side can know Jesus. I, I've asked for 50 to 100 of you to, to, to fill out and say, you know what, for this season, October through December, I will go and I'll be part of our East St. John campus to reach those people in that area of the city. There's so many people that need to be reached. And so maybe God's putting his finger on you and say, I want you to attend in at East and I want you to do it on purpose. Or maybe God is re-upping and calling you to say, hey, you know what, you go to the Valley campus every week 
but you aren't doing it on purpose. You're doing it for you. I want you to do it on purpose. I want you to bring your neighborhood. You know what? You live in the valley. This is your community. This is your church. You're not a, you're not a member. You don't have rights. You're an owner and you have responsibilities. And I want you to bring people every week to come and be part of what we're doing here. So you need to pick a campus and I want you to do it on purpose. And I want you, if you're not already serving, if you'd say, hey, I'm a Bible-believing, Jesus-following, saved-redeemed, I'm following Jesus, and you're not currently serving, listen, you're not following Jesus if you're not serving in some type of way. Because we follow this, the one who Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. You can't say you're following Jesus and not be serving in some type of way. So if you're not currently serving, just say, hey, I'm willing to serve in this season. And then I'm asking you to ask God, God, how many people would you like me to invite to come to Fall Festival or come throughout uh, the whole season of harvest? How many people would you ask me to invite? And I want you to put that number down. I want to, we're gonna add it all up this week and we're gonna see, hey, here's, who, here's how many people we're going to invite in this season. Here's how much we're willing to just get out there and invite people to come be part of this. And so I want you to put down how many people you're willing to just go out on a limb and say, hey, would you come to church with me? Can I come pick you up? Can I pick your family up? Can I bring you to church? Because you, you need to come. You need to hear what we're talking about. You need to hear about this God who saved me. So I want you to take a minute as the band plays. I want you to fill that card out and I want you to come to one of the four uh, areas in the room uh, and come up to this uh, temple looking thing. I promise you, you're not registering for the Illuminati. Um, it's, it's just a container. Uh, but fill out the thing and come up to the little pyramid thing and man, make this mean something. Make this mean something. Covenant with God. God doesn't need you perfect, but he wants you willing. And so say, God, I, hey, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to take a step. Use me. And so the band's gonna sing. They're gonna lead us. I wanna pray. And then I want you to come and respond as they're doing that. And we're gonna collect all this and we're gonna go and we're gonna take this season like never before. Here's my prayer. Our board, we met this past week and we spent some time, we spent almost two hours praying together. And here's my prayer for this season. I am praying and I felt like God say, son, I want you to actually verbalize what it is you're asking for. Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. So here's what I'm asking God for. I am asking for a harvest in this season that turns heads, that makes people look not to our church, not to the leadership, not to the King's church name. It makes people say, there must be a God in heaven because I know my brother and I know who he was and now he's different. There must be a God. Hey, I know St. John people and they're not the type to line up and wait to get into church. I know this region and they are people who are usually downtrodden and depressed and now there is this light and this hope coming in that is so eradicating that there must be a God. I am praying for a harvest that is so plentiful, so bountiful that it would cause St. John to say, there is a God. There is a God. Look at that. Look at what's happening. Let's pray. Father, this is what we're asking for. Lord, we're asking that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we're asking 
for souls to be saved. We're asking for families, to, for whole generational lines to be brought into your kingdom, Lord. God, we're asking for, the, for such a powerful move of your church through the power of your spirit, God, that the economy would change in this region, Lord, that the attitude would change in this region. Lord, we're asking for tens of thousands of people to come to say, Jesus is Lord and I'm giving him my life. Lord, we're asking for this whole territory that you've given us, God, to actually be affected so that the world will know that Jesus is Lord, so that you'll be front page news every week on how the kingdom is affecting everything. And so, God, that's our prayer. And we now say, would you use us? Would you mobilize us, God? There's nothing we aren't aren't prepared to do, Lord. We'll roll up our sleeves. We'll humble ourselves. We'll get down on our knees. We'll serve this mission however we can because we believe that it's worth it. And we believe, God, that we'll be blessed if we do it. And so, God, we give you our yes today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Everybody said, amen. You guys come and respond and let's celebrate.